Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about what time it is in America, March 2023. Trump rally hits. Uh, leftists in Israel and everywhere, they're all the same. And CBDC and the Fed now power grab. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I called this segment, The First Five, What Time It Is in America, March 2023. And the reason I wanted to do that is because we are obviously heavily already in the primary season, uh, lots of discussion about who's running for president on the Republican side, whether Biden will announce, he apparently is going to announce, whether he's going to be pushed out by uh, other leaders, the people behind the scene, the Democrat Party, and really who is best set to lead in America. And I will tell you that <clears throat> I'm going to get later in the show uh, into discussions about a lot of issues related to people contending for the presidency. But I want to start in the first five just talking about the idea to really sit back and take stock of where we are in America, where, where things stand. Just on the way here, I was uh, hearing this report about how over the weekend, and you probably saw this report too, Putin announced, the Russian leader Putin announced that he is going to be placing uh, nuclear weapons in Belarus. So he's thinking that he is preparing himself for the idea that nuclear weapons coming out of Russia uh, are going to be strategically placed, something he's not done for decades. A sign he's feeling... You know, people can say he's feeling fearful, people can say he's feeling bullish, whatever it is, he's endangering the world, and he knows it, and he doesn't see the current administration as one tiny little threat at all. On top of that, let's talk about, just for a moment, uh, the con condition of America's military. China's military has been, as they announced and previously strut for the world to see, they've been strengthening their military, they've been honing on younger Chinese boys through schools, making them tougher and stronger, they're increasing their spending. In America, we are literally consumed with wokeism in the American military uh, to the point when there was a hearing uh, this week or last week that was... Um, related to the condition of our military uh, and why that Congress is asking, basically, the House Armed Services Committee is asking, why is it so hard, military leaders, for you to fulfill your recruiting numbers? I mean, and you likely heard the recruiting numbers are way, way, way down in all branches of the U.S. military. These idiotic responses include all sorts of, one person calls them Pentagon nincompoops, but all sorts of uh, things talking about their ideological uh, commitment to lived experiences and diversity for diversity's sake, and championing Marxist military decision to waste over six million man hours of training on the dangers of extremism. What they basically mean is they are trying to create racial tension, extremism, and white privilege, uh, and the seminal importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. No wonder, as this article is pointing out, 
No wonder a warrior-minded, strong young American guy is not thinking, yeah, I'd like to serve in that military. So the military is a mess, committed to pronouns, diversity, and every other idiotic thing instead of creating a fighting force to, to, to defend America. Uh, compound that with, there's been recent reports talking about the Taliban and how just they've been showing off all of the military equipment America literally abandoned inside Afghanistan's borders. They've been showing videos. Look at the lineup of, of rifles and guns and equipment and, and I mean, just a, and a wide array of equipment that we left there. So Taliban, uh, among the most evil forces in the world, boldened and empowered by Biden. At the meantime, he is destroying the strength of our military. And then you take a look, of course, at the border. At, this show is out of the great state of Texas. Our border is overrun. Everyone who lives in Texas knows this. Most of the nation knows this. And we have, if you can believe the lunacy of this, we have this president, President Biden, actually put out a tweet warning Americans, don't vote for the Republicans because it, they'll endanger the border. They won't, they won't fund border security. I mean, I don't know if he, you know, I, I mean, I understand he is suffering from dementia. I don't think he really writes his tweets. I don't know who does. But the idea that anyone sane on the left will be trying to argue to the American people, you better watch out because, you know, Republicans won't fund the border security when everyone has seen what's happened. This is the state of America in 2023. No border security. Biden trying to claim Republicans won't enforce the border, which is what they've been trying to do. Military weakness. We have data regarding excess mortality flowing from the use of these, the just massive spreading of these COVID non-vaccines, these COVID jabs. Data all around the world showing excess mortality in staggering horrific numbers and the American government right behind, uh, still pushing vaccines, still dealing with Pfizer. Pfizer is still running ads during the NCAA playoff games, pushing the vaccines. And it's like we, we live in this netherworld where nobody, uh, this I will include both sides now, but most of the Democrats, because they're in charge, no one's saying, hey, wait a minute, these vaccines are killing people. So you have vaccines killing people, government pushing more of them. You have Putin flexing his muscles by saying he's going to put nuclear weapons in Belarus. And you have him now palling around more formally, more frequently with Xi Jinping, the Chinese leader, the two of them, two of the most dangerous forces in the world, teaming up. And you have Xi Jinping making more noise about how China is very, very focused on Taiwan. They're going to go after Taiwan. Um, this is World War III brewing. You have banks collapsing. You have no sane answer out of the federal banking authorities. In fact, you have Janet Yellen saying, don't worry, we'll back those two huge banks that failed recently, which of course, if anyone didn't know, the federal government does not have enough money to back all the banks that may fail. And yet we have no change in monetary policy. We just keep on printing money. I mean, dangerously raising rates, uh, the Fed raising rates to fight out of control inflation when they're, they're, they're and I mean, we can't get into that detail today. A obviously irrational response to the dangers of the economy uh, by the Fed and increasing interest rates. You have the CBDC, uh, which I am going to be talking a lot about this, is uh, supposed to stand for uh, the um, Central Bank Digital Currency. I've got a better name. I'll tell you a little later what that is, CBDC. And now you have, among other things that we have in our country, 
of all lunatic things, we have this ongoing pressing of gender ideology, whatever you say you are, you are, to the point that the Department of Defense doctors, I am not making this up, Department of Defense doctors opined over the weekend that it really is possible and we should honor the concerns, honor the preferences of seven-year-old children. Seven-year-old children, they know what gender they really are, and we should honor their gender preference and allow them to make the decision of whether or not they begin taking any kind of treatment to move toward transitioning their gender. Seven-year-olds, most of them still believe in Santa Claus. When my kids were growing up, I remember I sent our son one time who was 16, he's driving his own car to school, he had a dentist appointment. I, after school, I said, well, just go ahead and go. I don't need to be there. And the dentist's office called and said, well, he's under 18. Oh, we need your permission to clean his teeth. Seriously, 16-year-old needed, you know, we used to have parental involvement, and now you have the DOD essentially agreeing that seven-year-olds all by themselves can figure out their gender, no need for a parent's involvement. We live not only in a crazy time, to summarize what I'm saying the first five today, it's not just a crazy time. It's not just a time where moral insanity, moral lunacy has been normalized by the left, but actual serious danger to the homeland of America, to the security of America, to the, the sovereignty of America, right in front of our faces. That's how serious the situation is in America in 2023. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So I call this um, Trump rally hits. I'm gonna tell you that, um, okay, one more thing about Biden, just in case you're thinking, well, he's not so bad. In fact, I'll tell you, over the, um, in the last, it seems like it's been a long time. When I go from Thursday till Monday to do a show, it seems like I've been away from them, from talking with you, my listeners, uh, for a long time. But uh, in this recent time period, number one, we had some company visiting us for a while, um, and they are, you know, kind of conservative, not politically active at all. And I also had dinner with a friend recently who's a brilliant woman, brilliant woman, talented, lovely, you know, smart, caring, not political. And I sat there listening both to the company and our home, my friend, and realizing that I don't know if people who don't pay attention to politics and don't pay attention to the news have any idea what kind of peril America is in. I mean, I really don't know. I think, I think if I had you know, sat at, the, at dinner and said, hey, by the way, America's you know, in great peril, sure hope you're gonna vote next time, she would be saying, what are you talking about? Because her world is, you know, her world, she's got grown children and grandchildren and, you know, really busy life. She's an uber, uber, uber volunteer, really, really busy. So got a lot going on. And um, I don't know if she pays attention at all. But the more you pay attention, the more you should be concerned about what the condition of America is, which leads me to the Trump rally. Trump, of course, gave a rally in Waco, Texas over the weekend. We did not go. Um, but I'm sure, I think it was wonderful. I have some clips from it. I'm going to play just a few clips and then talk about DeSantis, Governor DeSantis of Florida, um, who is doing some good things and some commentary around him. But what I really want to say about the Waco um, Trump rally is, you know, I, I saw a tweet, and I, I don't think I sent it to uh, Emilio, my happy producer, but uh, it was a tweet by a, a really prominent Republican who was saying, you know, there's been no phenomenon like this in American history. This is a guy who first run, ran for federal office, Trump, 
eight years ago. He ran eight years ago, and you know, from the time he announced, he just had you know support pouring in from everywhere. He had uh, you know just massive crowds every time he went anywhere. And now he's been out of office for two plus years, and still he holds a rally and just I mean lines down the street can't get in. In fact, we were talking to some friends who were going to go to the rally, and um, they had gotten tickets, and I. Someone was asking about it, and anyway, the, this person ended up saying, you know, if, you, if people aren't in line by the night before, they'll never get in. So I will talk about what that really reflects about the American people, but first I'll play just a few, few clips um, from that rally. So, um, Mr. Uh, Emilio, I have, okay, so I didn't number them, so let's, let's just go to the very first one. Uh, this is called, just a, I called it Trump at the Waco speech. Either the deep state destroys America, or we destroy the deep state. That's the way it's got to be. We're at a very pivotal point in our country. Either we descend into a lawless abyss of open borders, rampant killings, super hyperinflation, which is what we have right now and not coming down, and festering corruption, or we evict Joe Biden and the Democrats from the White House and we make America great again. Okay, what I want to say about that little clip was, you know, I, I read actually, okay, I confess, I read CNN this morning. I, I do actually, I check the opposition all the time. So I read CNN this morning and they did a little spiel about, you know, tr fact checking uh, Trump. And so this first one, he said either, you know, the, either we destroy the, either deep straight destroy, deep state destroys America or we destroy them. And I will tell you, there's a, um, I've had this realization, especially being around these friends uh, I was mentioning who aren't political. When they hear the term deep state, they, they all, what exactly do you mean by that? I mean, you know, it's just a, just a, you know, slogan to sling around. What does it really mean? But you know what's interesting is maybe when Trump first ran in 2015 and 2016, he talked about the deep state and draining the swamp. People didn't really know what it meant or they had some vague sense about too many people in the bureaucracy in Washington, too long there and not responsive to the current administration, not responsive to the Congress. They kind of just run on autopilot. There's massive bureaucracy. That's kind of a deep state. But what's really happened over Trump's campaign, uh, his first campaign in 2015 and 2016, and then his presidency, then when he ran again, is a deeper appreciation of what the idea of the deep state means. And it means it's tied to the idea of this globalism, which I'll be talking about a little bit later in the show. But the concept uh, of the idea that people in Washington who are used to the way that power works, they're used to the way that they can, in Congress, passed laws they've never read, written by staff members and really written by lobbyists and special interest groups who make all the laws and the people in Washington, you know, vote for it, votes against it, people in the House and Senate, and, and it passes or it doesn't. But the whole thing rolls along um, and the interest behind or the determination of those pushing the ideas is not really what they say it is when they come and give speeches back in their in their home districts. It's not what they what they're claiming um, they stand for. It's just a way to perpetuate the, the ongoing rolling of the machine in Washington. So you have uh, massive financial interests, Wall Street interests, corporate interests that really want to have the machine in Washington stay in place as it is. They like the money they make. They like the control over government. They like the relationships they build internationally. They want everything to stay the same. 
And this notion that they will not surrender power and they will not stop exerting their power unless they're physically forced out. They don't respond to the needs of the people and they don't. January 6th is a great, great example, the treatment of the January 6th defendants, great example of what happens to people who are in Washington and they see a disruption or a threat to uh, their, their, I mean, Trump was a massive threat to the deep state, to the cabal, to the swamp, because he didn't, he didn't follow their rules, he didn't need their money, and he was motivated by the things he promised to the people when he ran. So anyway, this is what Trump is talking about when he says there's a deep state and they're either going to destroy America, which they're in the middle of doing, or we destroy them. And so back to my CNN um, little commentary, they were, they were counting the, as they call them, the lies or that, you know, uh, we're, we're going to, you know, point out how Trump was um, mis misstating things in some way. And they count that as one, that, you know, he claims there's a deep state. There are no such thing. Okay, next one. Um, just, a, just a quick one. This one is just called a USA Chance out, out of the um, rally. Our radio listeners all over watching is Trump has gotten up to speak at this rally. They had uh, Congressman Matt Gates there. They had uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene there. They had so they had other speakers first. When Trump got up, you know the entire crowd gets to their feet, and, and the people behind him as well as in the crowd, and they're chanting USA and they're waving signs about Trump and uh, you know USA and they're chanting USA. In fact, I. And that particular clip, I'm not sure if it was uh, you could hear it, but some of them were chanting USA, Trump, USA, Trump. I want to say something about that. The people who deplore Trump, and I mean people on the conservative side too, you know, the, uh, you know, Jonah Goldbergs, the whole, you know, alleged Republicans who are anti-Trump, they hear that kind of chant. And, and, and actually many Republicans who uh, prefer Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or whoever else they're supporting, they hear that kind of chant and they misunderstand and think that this is kind of a, almost like a trance-like, uh, you know, sycophant, just worshipful uh, of Trump. And, you know, I, I didn't like Trump when he first came on the scene in 2015 and 2016. In fact, I used to do Fox News radio political analysis, like national political analysis. And I don't know how many times I said on air, Trump is not going to win the Republican nomination. It's just a fad. It's, he's got, but, and, and so I, I can understand people's reaction, I think, when they hear things like this uh, chanting of Trump. But what the people love about Trump is that he loves America and he will fight. They fight for America against the entrenched powers in Washington, the uh, uniparty cabal, the deep state. They trust that Trump will fight. And his speech in Waco, he touched on pretty much everything that needs to be fought for in America. And so this is what these people, they're finally glad someone's saying what's true and they're standing strong. Okay, next one was a really cute little video, uh, the BLM. There was a young woman who had a BLM shirt on. Let's play her. You guys, we are just here. Black Lives MAGA. Woo! All Lives MAGA. Woo! Yes, we are here to support our president, Donald John Trump. We are not black. Remember that. Okay. We ain't black. Joe Biden said, Joe Biden said we ain't black. If you, vote for, if you don't vote for him, you ain't black. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. So, so I guess black. I ain't black. <laughs>
Okay, so we want to see more minorities. We want to see more people of, of, of color. You'll see. The left. We want to see, because we know that you are out there. Maybe you're afraid to step out and to, to show your support for America and for God and for Donald Trump and for country. But come on out. It's okay. Come on to the right side. Come on to the but right side. If you like... The, the, those two, what you're, uh, for our radio listeners, and I so appreciate you, I'm glad you're listening on radio, uh, there were two young black women, and one of them had a shirt on that said, Black Lives MAGA, and, um, and they're, they're just obviously excited to be at the rally and, and encouraging other people uh, who are, as they, they kind of mock using the term black, people of color, but when that was up, in the, uh, when she was making those remarks, they flashed up a picture um, of Elizabeth Warren uh, Pocahontas Warren, you know, the Democrat uh, senator from Massachusetts, who I guess kind of made it up about the fact that she had she had uh, American Indian background. She was Cherokee or something. And they also put up the picture of the woman. I can't remember her name, but it was a white woman who pretended to be black, and she had a role in the NAACP for several years before someone figured out she was just a big, fat faker. Anyway, these people, I mean, you just love it because they're young, and they're enthusiastic, attractive, and energetic young women. Just really encouraging. Come on, folks. Come down to the Trump rally. Okay. Next one, a quick point Trump made. Trump on who is our biggest threat. They said, who's our biggest threat? Is it China, sir? Or is it Russia? I said, no, our biggest threat are high-level politicians that work in the United States government. Okay, so he's, I'm trying to write down his exact words. So this is Trump being asked, you know, who he's imitating, repeating conversation in his speech, he's repeating conversation Who's our biggest threat? And he said, people usually say, is it China or Russia? He's saying, no, it's U.S. government officials in high positions. And, you know, this point he's making, I mean, I talk about this, this incredibly important need to re-embrace America, to understand what America is, what it stands for, um, and to recognize how severely America is under threat. His point there is, yeah, we're under threat from China and Russia. Sure, you know, they're both, both of them are enemies. China, more dangerous at this time in, in, our, in our world history. But his point about the people in Washington, the elected officials who simply aren't in the fight for the sovereignty and greatness and strength and goodness of America, he's saying they're a bigger threat. They're a bigger threat than China or Russia, which reminds me of something. I didn't grab her tweet, and I think I mentioned it last week too, but... Uh, there's a fabulous woman, an American citizen named She Van Fleet. Her first name is XI, uh, She Van Fleet, and lives in Virginia. And she is a, a native of China. She grew up in China under Mao Zedong. And she has become the most outspoken advocate, a pro-American advocate, and trying to speak up to Americans today to say, you need to watch and pay attention to what the American leftists are doing, what the leftist Marxists who are running our country are really doing. She analogizes much of what they do to what Mao Zedong did to China as his cultural revolution unfolded, ended up, of course, murdering of you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of Chinese citizens, destroying that culture, destroying the society. I mean, it was actually millions who were killed. And she's making the point, the way the left in America thinks is exactly like how Mao Zedong uh, thought. So Trump's point, back what he was saying, was, you know, this idea that 
You know, we're, we're all worried about China and Russia. Sure, we need to be worried about them, but we also need to be worried about the high-level officials in America who really aren't on America's side. Uh, one more thing at this point, I want to play Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene also spoke, and she uh, stirred up a lot of people, even on the GOP side, what she had to say. Let's play her. And to your point, Christina, we have to elect more America First Republicans that have the spine and the backbone to follow through and get this done. I'm fed up with a Republican Party that will not fight the fight and stand up for the American people. We need to end that party completely. That means Mitch McConnell. That means others like Lindsey Graham and others who don't stand up and fight for, for the American people and America first. Okay, so that's Marjorie Taylor Greene, and she actually um, took some heat for that. I mean, the media doesn't like her anyway, but, you know, she's making the point. It's not enough to just elect someone with an R by their name. Get some people who are in the fight. And I'll go back to what I was telling you in the first five today. In the first five, I went through a litany, a list of specific, extremely serious existential threats to the future of America's sovereignty and freedom and greatness. This is where we are in America. This is not politics as usual. This is not politics, as they say, the sports analogy between the 40-yard lines. This is politics about whether or not we can save our country from the Marxist movement that has overtaken the Democrat Party utterly and completely. Marxist ideology, Marxist agenda, Marxist plans, everything they're doing is total radical leftism, no longer on the American playing field. And that's what Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying is these people who go to Washington, they really don't want to fight, and they certainly don't want to fight when it causes them to get unfavorable attention out of the media. It, it was just, and so people get mad at her. She shouldn't be dividing the party, but really the people who won't stand up the people who won't fight, they're the ones dividing the party. Before, I don't want to play that last clip yet, Mr. Emilio. I want to just talk briefly about, so Trump at the rally, <clears throat> he used the expression, um, I, am your I am your warrior. I am your warrior. And <clears throat> I want to kind of turn and talk about, you know, when he says he's our warrior, you know, right now he's under attack. And just think about all the attacks on Trump happening right now. You have this Manhattan DA, the grand jury is actually reconvening today, so we'll see what they do. I think they got a little bit gun-shy last week because they finally figured out that Alvin Bragg is, the Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, may not really have a very bright idea here in going after Trump over something that, you know, the whole issue about whether or not how Trump declared certain payments. Um, there are much more is going on with that. I don't want to delve into that case today except... It's even uh, that guy, um, Turley, you know, the um, law professor who is a leftist, so he's a Democrat, but he, he just, he went on weekend shows saying essentially this is absolutely unjustifiable contortion of law for this guy, Alvin Bragg, to go after Donald Trump over this, this uh, alleged hush money, hush money payment. When the federal government says it doesn't matter and it's not a campaign violation, he, Alvin Bragg, has no business doing it. And he really he was quite firm in putting Alvin Bragg down. This uh, Jonathan Turley was. But on top of that, so there's that effort, the Manhattan DA. There's still the effort uh, to go after Donald Trump about the documents at Mar-a-Lago. And that is a, an effort to somehow mount potentially a criminal a complaint against him. There's also the effort, there's a federal judge who's now ordered uh, that both, um, it was, in fact, it was that same district court judge, Beryl Howell, um, is ordering um, uh, two of uh, Trump's aides, including Mark Meadows, 
now must testify before a grand jury investigating Trump's involvement, uh, if anything, on the uh, or his involvement in the, they call it the effort to overturn the 2020 elections. I would call effort to have fair elections in 2020. But now Mark Meadows, close advisor to Trump, often will be seen by many as protected by executive privilege. Now Mark Meadows has to testify. Um, and then you have um, th this executive privilege thing being um, thrown out the window. Uh, Ken Cuccinelli also ordered to, to uh, testify. I'm getting to the point, the legal system around the country in, every, in, in so many venues is finding some way to go after Donald Trump. Part of the reason that is, um, that is happening Part of the reason it, it's overwhelming in the news is that the effort is being made, in my opinion, to for the average uninformed American to think, well, something must be wrong with Trump or else all these people wouldn't be going after him. I mean, look at all these investigations, the Mar-a-Lago documents, the January 6th events, and now, you know, this hush money payment. This is all from the left, this idea to discredit Donald Trump in the minds of the American people. And I want you to think about how insane they're being driven. Because right now, Donald Trump, under threat of indictment from, from um, Alvin Bragg, can still, and all these other threats, can still bring a massive rally together, short amount of time, people denied tickets because they couldn't get in, and, and they're just thinking, I, I, they're thinking, what are we gonna do to get this guy out of here? And again, understand, they want Trump out of Washington, not because he sends mean tweets or any other thing about his personal life, it's because he stands between the American people and the deep state effort of the left, the, the, the uniparty cabal deep state effort. Um, in fact, back to Jonathan Trilly. Okay, hey, wait, quickly, for our radio listeners, you're gonna go off to a break, come back after three minutes. This is Debbie Georgiatis, America Can We Talk, americacanwetalk.org, come right back. Okay, the other thing about Jonathan and Turley, what he had to say, he actually said, it was a really great point, I think it's true, the more Alvin Bragg tries to get an indictment on Trump over this hush money to the porn star uh, accusation, which even the federal government said there's no basis for a charge here, and Alvin Bragg's taking the same set of facts and trying to turn it into a felony, um, Jonathan Turley said, really Alvin Bragg is helping to make Donald Trump's point that it's a witch hunt, that it is a political prosecution or a political persecution. I mean, Alvin Bragg is actually kind of unconsciously helping Trump. And it's really a, um, a, a you know, it's, it's kind of like that American spirit. We don't like to see someone mistreated. We don't like to see someone just, you know, that Americans want to stand up for somebody who's being bullied and mistreated. Um, it's a little bit like the underdog feeling like you just want to stand up for the underdog guy and stand up for him. What Alvin Bragg is doing, he's actually helping Trump's um, polling numbers. I mean, Trump's polling numbers are going up as Alvin Bragg keeps it up. I think they will more so if a grand jury indictment is issued. And I think it'd be even more so if there's an indictment issued in this investigation about whether or not the documents at Mar-a-Lago, which he had 100% authority to determine as classified or not, constitute his removal of those documents constitutes some crime. Because everybody paying any attention realizes Biden took tons of documents in numerous completely unsecured places at the same time, the foundation where he hid or contained or secured his documents uh, was being funded, getting money from the CCP. So there's going to be a lot of um, going to be a lot of uh, 
pushback, I think, and actually danger and damage to um, the um, left if they keep on picking on Trump with all these efforts to get him, I think all it's going to do is make him more popular. And it's kind of, it, it, they really, uh, as Jonathan Shirley was saying, they do make Trump's point. They're just out to get him, which is when you went back to what Trump, I can't remember if I played that clip or not, but one of the points Trump made is um, when they're coming after, oh no, we're going to play that one in just a minute, in just a minute. Because what, this is really, I think, one of the cardinal reasons that the left is just misreading the situation and misdirecting their efforts is, is, is failing to comprehend the reali reality of the situation, which is the more that the left goes after Trump, the more that they try to find some picayune charge, some you know, unjust charge, some basis to just go after him and try to clobber him and try to get him in trouble, try to get him indicted, try to get him arrested, the more that happens, all that really it feels like to the American people is the government, the deep state, coming after them. They, the people have that sense. If the government can so mistreat Donald Trump, can so go after him on unjustified charges, it really tells you the degree to which we've lost the rule of law, we're living in a dangerous time. That is what people end up taking from it, which goes back to the last little clip I have of Trump at the Waco um, speech over the rally over the weekend. Um, and that was a, uh, it was put out in a tweet by Benny Johnson, but this is the last thing that I want to play from that speech uh, at Waco this weekend. They're not coming after me, they're coming after you, and I'm just standing in their way, and I'm going to be standing in their way for a long time, and eventually I won't have to stand in their way, because in 2024, we're going to have the greatest victory of them all, and have the greatest victory of them all. You know, what he's saying in there, they're not coming after me. This was the tweet I was sending for you to hear. He's saying, they're not coming after me. They're coming after you, and I'm just standing in their way. And eventually, I won't have to stand in their way because in 2024, we're going to have the greatest victory of them all. And part of what Trump is saying to the American people is, when the left comes after him with the Alvin Bragg thing, and backing up, the Alvin Bragg attempted indictment, the uh, trying to make a federal crime out of papers that were held um, at Mar-a-Lago, and they discovered, of course, Obama held papers that, that were, uh, had some confidentiality attached to them. When he left the presidency, Biden's been discovered with many of them, but somehow the only one enduring likely prosecution is Trump. And same thing with the um, idea that they're going to go after him about the um, alleged, you know, trying to undo the 2020 election. All it does is call attention to the unfairness of the 2020 election. So I'm getting around the point to say the effort to take down Trump is, is perceived by Trump supporters as the left, the deep state, the cabal, the uniparty, the, the lawless um, you know, Department of Justice coming after them. And that way, and Trump is very successful in making that point to the American people. They're really coming after you. They don't want to, you to think you have the right to choose who's the next president. They don't want you to think you have the right to choose your government and to have the government you choose put the policies in place that you want. What they're telling you is they don't want you involved in politics at all. And, and so they perceive these Trump supporters 
perceive that all this going after Trump is really aimed at them, it only helps Trump. It only makes his case stronger, as, as Jonathan Turley was saying. You know, it kind of, Alvin Bragg continuing to go after Trump over a nothing burger, and everyone knows it's a nothing burger, it really ends up sending the message to uh, many people, Trump is right, this is just a, a political attack. So while we're still in the same segment about the Trump rally, I was going to mention a couple of things that were um, about uh, Ron DeSantis, because he is obviously, if he declares um, that he's running, which he hasn't done yet, he's taking a lot of steps uh, along the way, appearing to be, but he hasn't declared yet, um, he would be the top runner that, you know, in the, on the GOP side. Uh, I think most people conclude whoever's going to win the nomination is either going to be Trump or Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida. And I'm going to tell you about, about something a little later in the show, a great thing Ron DeSantis is doing, I com completely commend. But after I've been telling you all this segment that was about Trump and what he had to say at the rally, and going back to the first segment, where we stand in America, the multitude of very serious, truly existential threats on the future of America's freedom, a big piece of it, a big um, component of people's concern about America's future has to do with this goal of globalism and what World Economic Forum is trying to do and, and the push of globalism. And I will tell you, I've, I'm among those of you, if you are like this, who for the longest time, I would hear people say, on every issue, oh, it's the globalists, look out, the globalists, and they're always talking to the globalists. And honestly, I dismissed a lot of that for quite a while, just saying, you know, there's a few people who want one world order, who want the new world order, but, you know, that's not going to happen to America, and we need to not be overusing that term, over-fretting about this, because we make ourselves look kind of fearful and weak. I really, um, I, I did hesitate in making a push in talking about uh, globalism for, uh, for a long time. But what is finally, I think, gelled for me and I think millions of American people is what this idea of globalism really means. And maybe if you take the word globalism out of the sentence or, you know, new world order and just ask yourself the question, do I want America to be a sovereign nation state? Do I want America to have sovereignty over our country and other governments have sovereignty over their country? Or do I want the whole idea of nation states to go away and everybody go along with, you know, one controlling entity that, you know, is, that would claim is looking out for the interests of all the people. And so they would be, you know, the, and, and everyone pushing World Economic Forum and globalism, they're all socialists which really means they're communists, but they don't, that word is a little too jarring still for people who say, oh yeah, we're just socialists, new world order, it's very much about socialism and the idea they'll control all the money, they'll control the distribution of money, they'll control policies about everything, they'll control healthcare policy and monetary policy and education policy. Every single kind of policy that shapes America's future would come out of this, this new global government. And there are financial interests in this country. We formerly used to think, formerly used to think that, well, at least the business people, they want America to be free. Um, they don't want to have America become, you know, globalist. But I want to just talk about this, how this America first Trump agenda, America first and Trump's kind of economic nationalist policy is offensive to the globalist mindset. And I mean, just to try to briefly describe it, the concept of this, this idea that um, 
They're going to be as Wall Street, as K Street, as a multinational and billionaire funding. Uh, you know, it is the um, BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street and the World Economic Forum people. All these people are invested internationally. They control things internationally. And they like to be in control of the money and the flow of money and who's in charge of it. And the idea that America might have policies that we put in place that protect the American people first, that we have a nationalist economic policy, meaning our economic policy is, is about preserving America, this is a threat to them. Because this globalist, uh, you know, Wall Street, K Street type of, of growing globalism um, has really been occurring a little bit under the radar for a long time. And it's really now that we have, when Trump came along, he began to expose it. And it took me and maybe many of you a little longer to realize what he was talking about and how these people, these globalist types, these BlackRock types, Wall Street, K Street, all these kind of uh, controllers of big money, their concept is they have policies, they put them in place, and they want to be able to control the way money flows, the way corporations can invest, the way corporations can be represented and receive investment from stockholders. Everything about the way they function, they want to be have it geared toward an international order, an international order that just does not give any credence or preference or honoring to the, the mission, the values, the laws, the economic policies of individual countries. And so you have people who are literally, as Trump said back in that famous speech of like October 2016, you know, billions, in fact, trillions are at stake. The people who've been engaged in this massive organizing of the world around the goal toward one world order and the World Economic Forum running everything and, and you'll own nothing and you'll be happy about it and we will own everything, we'll control everything. Those people have long functioned without any interference in the, in the growth of their policies, their ideas, their, their connection to each other. And Donald Trump coming along and saying, you know, sorry folks, but America matters to quote my famous well, you know, line, America matters, and America first matters. And so he's really, um, really uh, upset that apple cart. Now that I got that out of the way, what's happened with um, Ron DeSantis, he has been a wonderful governor in Florida. He's done great things and more great things I'll tell you about. But part of what happened that to bring Donald Trump, bring um, uh, Ron DeSantis into the role of possibly running for president, uh, there was a kind of a big release of, if you didn't, surmise it kind of because you're intuitive and smart, a big acknowledgement this weekend um, over the idea that who encouraged him, who's behind pushing him to become president? Because everyone you think of as a, wow, he emerged, he's a great candidate. These candidates for president don't just emerge out of thin air or wake up one day and say, well, you know, I've been a really good governor. I think I'll be president. It takes money. It takes moneyed people to get behind them, encourage them, and structure their plan structure their messaging, structure their, uh, their how they're going to raise funding. And so what came out over the weekend was there's a political pundit named Mark Simone, and he was interviewed by Larry Kudlow. And Kudlow asked him directly, who is behind the DeSantis campaign? Who is it who got behind DeSantis and got him rolling? And he said, it is Karl Rove and George W. Bush. Now, George W. Bush, uh, you know, lives a few miles from me. He's, you know, he lives in Dallas. He's a nice man. 
He is, he's a globalist, as was his father who was present before him. His father was, the Bush family is very invested in globalism and the New World Order and the One World Order and the World Economic Forum. They have this, we're better than being American. America, the American identity and uniqueness and greatness, that belongs in the past. That's old news. That's, you know, that, that's kind of old way of thinking. The modern thinkers are all about one world government, and we, the Bushes, the Bushes are all behind that. And so it's Karl Rove, you know, who's just a, uh, you know, at very, Karl Rove is very powerful. He's also a complete rhino. He can't stand, meaning Republican in name only, he can't stand the Tea Party. He can't stand conservatives. He can't stand Trump. He can't stand any of these groups that stand up and speak up about ideas of America. He is much of a, he's a party guy. He figures once he's decided who's the most, the best candidate to get behind and will win them up, win because of their ability to appeal to a broad spectrum of Americans. He's decided, and Republican loyalty means you go with who he's who he won. Now, Karl Rove was behind Jeb Bush in 2016, didn't get so far, as we recall. But I'm getting at the notion that when the ideological thinkers behind you and the money behind you are the moderates, are the globalists, it's going to shape how you run your campaign. So this is what's happening with DeSantis, that those are the ones who got him rolling, and now what's happened, the more recent news is, there was a big meeting of donors, um, I think it was a week ago Sunday. It was either yesterday or a week ago Sunday, but donors in Florida who kind of got in ground floor with Ron DeSantis, and because he is, he's very likable, strong policies, great military background, great governor, I mean, he's just, is a, he's a very good candidate. And these people all want, these people who are backing DeSantis want kind of anyone but Trump. So they got in money early uh, and they got behind the various organizations to get Ron to run. Well, they had a meeting where the conversation was kind of about what's going on here? Why isn't DeSantis surging in the polls? In fact, there was a great quote, um, if I'll find it quickly enough, uh, one of them had to say, you know, um, if I don't have it quickly, then I'll forget about it. But I thought it was a really good uh, point he was trying to make. This idea, um, DeSantis is doing, this is a, a GOP strategist. DeSantis is doing a book tour. He's barnstorming the country, and his polls are going down. Meanwhile, Trump is potentially under indictment, and Trump's going up. It's just not a good look for DeSantis. Now, I will tell you that I think Ron DeSantis will likely be a great candidate uh, for president, whenever he runs. I, I went out on a limb, and I'll say it again. I think he's going to decide not to run in 2024. I think DeSantis is going to decide not to run. I think the tea leaves are being read. Trump's, you know, on the rise. If he gets indicted, he's more on the rise. And DeSantis may be really scarred by a, a run against Trump, where he ends up, you know, getting, um, you know, I assume soundly beaten and um, and kind of pegged as a globalist type, which he doesn't really want to be pegged as. So my point at this big meeting of donors in Florida, um, there was a lot of concern expressed by a variety of people there. I'm not, I'm, I know some of them, but I'm not going to say their names. Just saying a lot of concern. He's not really rising, and we aren't really going to be uh, well served by getting him, um, you know, getting all the money behind him if Trump is just going to easily beat him. Uh, and the other concern expressed was this idea that, you know, Many of these people don't care that much if a Democrat wins. 
Their, their main goal is to keep Trump out. So they think if DeSantis is a good candidate and he can run and keep Trump, you know, downtrodden a little bit in the polls, they like the idea of beating Trump. They like the idea of beating Trump more than they like the idea of actually going after, um, um, actually having a Republican win. They just want Trump, Trump gone at all costs is their main goal. So, um, Anyway, you know, I can already tell you right now, given the time, um, that I'm not going to get to my final topic today, Mr. Emilio. So uh, I, I send slides for all four topics, but I only get to three of them. But I want to tell you something interesting. So, so kind of rounding off on that one, um, I just think that I think it's not DeSantis's time. I mean, he may run, and I will tell you he'll be better than any Democrat out there, better than Biden, better than any of the Democrats. I think at this time, given the litany of things I said in the first five, the, the challenges facing America, we need a fighter like Trump. But I also think DeSantis um, would be a great candidate, and maybe he will run this time. And heaven knows, if he's a candidate, I'll knock myself out to get him elected, because we cannot, the country cannot stand, cannot stand another four years of any Democrat, most especially Biden. Okay, so one other thing I want to tell you about, it's so interesting in the world. Um, you may have seen that there are big protests now going on in Israel. And Israel, I think I've mentioned to you, uh, our listeners, that my husband and I um, are very, we love Israel. Uh, we are deeply Christian. We have friends in Israel who are very strongly uh, committed to their Jewish faith, and we are very close with them. And my husband has a lot of business connections in Israel, so he's been there I don't know, dozens of times. And um, it's a, so we love Israel, and we are very supportive of Netanyahu. Kind of Netanyahu is to Israel what Trump is to America. So Netanyahu back in power, and he recently fired um, his um, head of defense, his um, Department of Defense head, they don't call it that, defense minister. And I want to tell you what's going on behind the scenes here, because I thought it was so interesting and so analogous to America. So there's a great writer in Israel named Carolyn Glick, G-L-I-C-K, Glick. And by the way, everything I'm talking about on my show, everything on my show, is actually available. The articles I have are available to read on our website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org. Always there. And um, are just really, um, I hope you read them so you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so Carolyn Glick is this brilliant writer in Israel. And I actually, a few years ago, when I still have my show on Salem Radio, and I went to Israel with my husband, I got to interview Carolyn Glick, which was pretty darn fun, really fun. I did the show from Israel, I don't know what year that was, a while ago. Anyway, she had the best opening paragraph because people were asking, what is this battle about? Because Netanyahu has fired the, the defense minister, and it's all about a Netanyahu initiative for judicial reform. It's for judicial reform, reform of the courts. And the defense minister came out uh, against Netanyahu's plan for judicial reform, and, uh, and Netanyahu fired him. You know, he's just said, we've got to be on the same page. But Carolyn Glick had this just extremely insightful thing I want to just tell you what she had to say, and because it captures not just leftism in Israel, but leftism all over the globe. Leftism is like a, it's a, it's a, it's a, sickness for one thing. Uh, it is dangerous. It is, um, it is anti-freedom. But she had a good summary. I'm just going to read a little bit of it and then talk about why it matters so much. So in Israel, says she, as in states throughout the Western world, the political left is an ecosystem of power, not merely a political camp. It starts with the parties of the center and far left. 
but it encompasses far more powerful institutions and actors as well. These include the universities, the vast majority of media organs, most of the entertainment industry, and much of the economic elite. The left also comprises the senior ranks of the security establishment, like the military. And she says the most powerful component of the left's ecosystem in Israel is the legal fraternity. So first of all, she could have been talking about America in that first paragraph, how the left centers and they seem because they get uh, so much attention and, and kind of regurgitation, repetition of their views within all those entities she mentioned, you know, the um, institutions, actors, universities, media, entertainment, economic elite, that people can tend to think, oh, that's a majority view, but it's not. So what's going on in Israel, and it just really, it, it is very relevant to America today. What's going on in Israel is that in Israel, they do not have a constitution like we do. We have a constitution. The courts sometimes follow us, sometimes don't, but they're supposed to follow it. But in Israel, there is no constitution. So they have courts, and they have courts issuing decisions, and the decisions don't necessarily always comply with, uh, with laws passed by the Knesset. Their form of Congress is called Knesset. Um, in fact, they pass laws. Um, they, they, the court issues decisions because they don't have a constitution. So they, they issue decisions using a standard of just kind of reasonableness. Well, this shouldn't be the law. That's not reasonable. And so the, the judicial reform package, what Netanyahu is trying to do is bring the courts back under the control, ultimately, of the people. Because the people in Israel elect the Knesset. They elect their prime minister. They elect everybody. And so Netanyahu is trying to bring the courts, because they have this truly rogue power in Israel. There's no one that can control them. And they apparently have the final word on things. And he's saying, you know, you've got to bring them back under the control of the uh, system of laws and the Knesset, which then can then, you know, so that they can't just keep throwing laws out because they don't like them because no one's electing these people in the courts. The courts are just, they, the people end up as judges. They sit there in the courts and they throw out uh, laws that the, the uh, Knesset, who was elected by the people, pass. And so it's like this rogue power over there. So he's saying the judicial reform package, it means it requires placing judicial appointments under more political control, requiring justices to base their judgments on the law rather than the malleable veneer of reasonableness, banning the Supreme Court from amending or overriding Israel's basic laws. And that's all capped, Israel's basic laws which is the closest they have to something like constitutional rule of law, but it's not a constitution. And fourth, placing constraints on the Supreme Court's power to abrogate laws duly promulgated by the Knesset, while providing the Knesset with a mechanism for overriding the court's decisions. It's putting the power back in the hands of the people. So back was happy in Israel. You know, Netanyahu is saying we cannot have a rogue court with no standards we can hold them to, no accountability, can't remove them. We've got to have them back under some sense of the rule of law. And, you know, when you have a Knesset, which is like our Congress, elected by the people, then they, the Knesset, are the ones who get to have, um, 
you know, uh, some control over these judges. These judges can't be just rogue. And, and you know, when the court gets filled, obviously, with leftists and people who don't honor and love the idea of Israel, don't respect the idea of Israel, I mean, you just get chaos over there. Also, they, um, you know, when they had the most recent election, um, there was a, um, a overwhelming support uh, for the conservatives, for Netanyahu, um, and, and Netanyahu obviously um, took power, and it was great. Um, but he's discovering the same thing as Trump discovered when he gets into office. He's discovering that you can have people in the government who will not uh, do what you ask them to do, will not follow through on the policies that you ran on. You know, Trump runs on policies. He tries to put them in place. Congress won't help him. Trump runs on a border wall. Congress won't fund the border wall. I mean, this is the same thing happening in Israel. And um, this article by Carolyn Glick uh, really kind of runs through the whole history of Israel and how they got to the point uh, where you have this completely out of control court and no one at all seems to have any power to rein them in. And this is what Netanyahu is saying is you have to have, you've got to have somebody, some way that their power is reined in. So because leftists, as they do in America and every place else, they can stir up the masses, they stir up the labor unions, they stir up the masses, they have protests in the street over judicial reforms when er actually everyone in Israel ought to be thanking Netanyahu because he's going to bring some semblance of responsibility to the courts to respond to the people when the Knesset can have some say in what the courts do. Radio listeners, you're going off. Come back to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk. They're gone for the, this time. Okay, so I had a fourth topic today. I'm kind of bugged. I meant to get to it. It's actually a really great one about the CBDC, the Central Bank Digital Currency, um, which is now looming, if you did not know this, now looming in America um, as of July. The, it's actually going to get started here in America. must be fought by the freedom lovers. So CBDC is Central Bank Digital Currency. Uh, we have to have a better uh, name for it, and I think it should be just Communist Bank Digital Control. It's a communist program. Just put, call it what it is. It's communist, a bank, digital control, or control banks, digital communism. Whatever it is, it's not freedom. It's anti-American, anti-freedom. Many people speaking up to fight it, including Ted Cruz and Ron DeSantis. But I am, most unfortunately, my very fine friends, out of time on the show today. Um, I need a magic time machine here to give me more time within the hour I have, but I don't have one yet. So uh, with that, I will tell you why this, I do, as I do at the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show today uh, talking about the, um, what time it is in America. The big picture is extremely serious, extremely dangerous. Excuse me. You have the, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Putin and Xi Jinping developing an alliance, Chinese military, um, trying, trying to, sorry, uh, Chinese military on the rise, U.S. military gone woke, Ukraine war edging toward nuclear confrontation and catastrophe, excess mortality, and birth rate um, decline. Data is accumulating around the world. COVID vaccines are not safe and effective, period, full stop. Southern border completely gone. Pictures of military equipment left behind in Afghanistan show the magnitude of Biden's betrayal. Cascading banking collapsing around the world, not contained, bringing on the CBDC digital communism. Uh, Fed, Fed's raising rates will accelerate economic contraction and decline, collapse of societal trust. Proof of stolen 2020 election is massive, growing, and incontrovertible. Lawfare against 
Trump so brazen and meritless signals deep state as USA's number one enemy. And conventional bickering about Trump versus DeSantis is shallow, unserious, and misses the point. America under the Constitution is at stake. Trump is the only one who sees it, says it, and will fight it. And I want you to really think about that because I have to tell you folks, I don't know who's gonna get the nomination. I don't, but I really, I don't know who else, no one else fights like Trump. Okay, Trump rally um, hits. Uh, Matt Gates called for DeSantis and Cruz to endorse Trump, and it resonated. DeSantis would never have been elected Florida governor without Trump's support. Cruz could have lost his 2018 uh, race against Beto O'Rourke without Trump's support. DeSantis and Cruz don't seem to grasp the MAGA movement and the mood of the American electorate. No surprise that DeSantis is encountering donor doubts. Rove Bush architecting the DeSantis campaign will not win over the huge MAGA base. Trump's Waco, Texas rally jammed tens of thousands in attendance. No other leader in U.S. history has shown a similar drawing power for over eight years. The American people's attraction to Trump is not about personality. It is about the American people's understanding of the extreme danger the country is in and the recognition that Trump is the only one who clearly sees it, calls it out, and is putting everything on the line to save the America of the founding. DeSantis and every other candidate is unserious so far, given the stakes. And leftists in Israel and everywhere all the same. Political battle over judicial reforms appears to be creating severe division in Israel. Israeli defense minister spoke out for prime minister to slow down and compromise warned of IDF soldiers refusing to report for service and was fired immediately by Prime Minister Netanyahu. Israeli strife has the feel of leftist-financed agitation, creating the appearance of more controversy than actually exists. Leftists use lawfare throughout the world as a blunt instrument of power, routinely overturning duly enacted legislation by elected representatives because they're certain that they know better than the ordinary citizen and even the ordinary member of Congress or the Knesset. A concept of law built on godless intellect without wisdom, righteousness, or morality. New York City DA Alvin Bragg has just demonstrated this leftist lawfare intellectually parsing words, stretching statutes, trying to create crimes to destroy a political opposition. No surprise that Israel is at the center of the global spiritual war. The rule of law and not of men is foundational to Western civilization. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can